This is the Hash Podcast. Stay informed with the latest on Bitcoin, ETH, the Metaverse, Web3, and more. All on the Hash for your ears. You're listening to the Coindesk Podcast Network. Happy Monday and welcome to the Hash on Coindesk TV. I'm Jen Sanasi. We've got Will Foxley and Wendy O. Here today, we are going to break down the top news stories of the day. Will, we got some developments in this Coinbase versus the SEC, or rather, I should say the SEC versus Coinbase saga. What's going on? They're both unhappy with each other. Uh, Yes, we do have some updates. As of last Friday, this is well after we closed for the day on the hash, the SEC came back and refiled again after a filing from Coinbase. Basically, they're going back and forth in court, and they're just filing against each other. Yeah, adding documents to the lawsuit that is ongoing from the SEC against Coinbase, which was filed, I believe, back in February or March. This document in particular now responds to a Coinbase complaint that the SEC did not have uh, the right information to be able to go forward with their lawsuit, stating that, in fact, the uh, Coinbase filing originally pushed forward in 2021 to go public did not exempt them from the SEC overlooking their business at all. And also stating that Coinbase included in its documentation 2021, the fact that some of its assets that it would list on its website uh, and it's on its exchange would be liable to uh, purview by the SEC in the future. Um, so again, we have some more back and forth. We've seen the uh, SEC, we've seen Coinbase and others go on Twitter publicly talking about this. This, of course, is a little bit more important because they're putting these documents publicly into the debate. Jen, I'll throw it to you for your first take on this. As the hash legal consultant, I think there are valid arguments here on both sides. And that's why this case is going to be so interesting to watch. So the SEC says that Coinbase was operating as an unregistered broker, clearinghouse and exchange all in one go. I think that's going to be like an important part to uh, take note of as we follow this case. All the talk has been around you know, Coinbase operating as an unregistered security, but there are like lots of nooks and crannies and facets that are going to, I think, be crucial when we're following uh, the case here. What's interesting is in this filing, there's no mention in the article, at least, of Coinbase's mention of like, they tried to speak to the SEC dozens of times, they didn't get the response that was required in order for them to operate in a in a way that was favorable to the SEC. And I don't see this mentioned here. So I feel like the next response we're going to hear from Coinbase is that, you know, we tried to talk to the SEC, we tried to get clarity here, and we weren't able to get it. And so, yeah, I don't know. That's my take on this. Wendy, what do you think? So I've been up since like four this morning. I'm a little (laughs) bit tired. And I agree with both of you on this matter. The thing that bothers me the most is that the headline, okay, it's a headline that's bothering me a bit. And the reason why is, is like, if we don't have any type of guidelines put into place, how are people supposed to know? Like, you can have an idea, this might not be the right way to do it. But unless I can actually like, go through and get a direct answer, yes or no. Heck, I want to say that Brian Armstrong and Coinbase, they tried to talk to Gary Gensler or talk to the SEC like 20 plus times back in 2022. And that entire time, Gary was meeting with people that are now actually in a lot of trouble for actually doing bad things. So it's just very frustrating because all of this go all in this back and forth. 
it's just costing taxpayer dollars. Like it's hurting retail. It's hurting the underdogs. It's hurting the exact people that they want, that they claim that they're protecting because they're actually wasting our money that we could be using that taxpayer dollar to invest correctly, safely, but we have no guidelines. So again, I'm rooting for Coinbase. I'm rooting for Ripple. I'm rooting for almost anybody the SEC is going after at this point because it doesn't seem that they are doing their job. Hmm. Yeah, the stuff here is a little confusing, right? Because we've seen so much back and forth. And I do think that it's fair that the SEC points out in the 2021 filing from Coinbase that they did state that some of the assets on their exchange could in the future be seen as uh, securities, and that would therefore be a liability or a problem for the business, right? So if you go back to the S1 that was filed in 2021, all these companies have to do this when they go public. They have to list all the things that possibly go wrong for them as a public company that could lead to a decline in the share value of the company once it's public. And they included this part as uh, as a contention or as something that could be be wrong with their business. And so it makes sense for them to include that at the time because a lot of people didn't know what these assets would be, if they'd be securities or not. But at the same time, now the SEC can go back and point at that. And so I think it's a really strong point in the SEC's favor here. Uh, that being said, I, I mean, I think we're most all Coinbase's side in this story. It's just that sometimes the facts don't really align with what you want. I don't pick sides on the news, I Will. I mean, I'm going to pick a side. <laughs> and I'm is. actually going to interrupt both of you right now. And yeah, I want to tell you a personal story that happened show. to me. Let me tell you something. Like anytime I bought or sold a house in California, you have to disclose. Disclose, 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 disclose. If there's a little crack, there's a little wood chip on the door, you disclose it. If there's a leaky faucet somewhere, you disclose it. If there's a little chip on the floor, you disclose it. Why do you do that? So people can't go back and say, hey, you didn't tell me this. The Coinbase was required to disclose anything possible that could have impacted them going public. So they did just because they listed this as a potential, you know, X, Y, and Z, whatever. They did what they were supposed to do. It is not their fault that the SEC did not do their job. It's honestly just absolutely, utterly ridiculous at this point. Like, do the best you can, disclose everything, and then you get in trouble for disclosing later. I know real estate law is completely different, but with real estate, you can't actually go after somebody if there was a plumbing problem and they said we had a leaky faucet and that's all that I know. But I know it's completely separate stuff. Just frustrating. I think that's that's exactly what's going to come back, Wendy, to... To this narrative that Coinbase has been trying to talk to the SEC, like, I, I think that just supports that. They're saying, you know, we know maybe some of these things can be securities. We're trying to work with you to figure this out. And they weren't able to figure it out. I think, Will, you mentioned it in your intro or near the top of the segment that the Ripple case might, once that is resolved, I think we're expecting a result there in September may help push this Coinbase thing along because we'll have, you know, another case decided and we'll be able to like look at that case and maybe apply some precedent here. But then we look at what happened with library and that's mentioned here. I think we're going to have all of this, this law to be able to apply all the learnings from all these different cases. And we're going to ultimately get a good outcome, but it's not going to be a s- smooth sailing there. It's another Matic Monday. Let's get into this next story because it's all over crypto Twitter. Arkham Intelligence rolls out crypto data marketplace and privacy advocates cry foul. So Ancrum, Arkham something with an A, is an on-chain analytics platform and they're launching a marketplace and users can buy and sell on-chain crypto data. Users will be able to post a bounty and lock up funds and then request data on address or wallet to expose attackers or define identity of impersonators. Blockchain researchers and sleuth can then source and provide information return for the pledge bounty. Marketplace will feature the brand new token, and the token is designed to de-anonymize blockchain. I don't 
if they need a token for this, but I kind of understand why they would. But I do think that this is definitely an interesting project. And I also do like that we are having it's for accountability in the space. Because that's what all the public servants say. They always say, you know, nobody's in account being held accountable. Crypto is lawless. It's for super shadowy coder people. Well, we're actually using the technology for good. And they're still not happy with us. So Jen, you're nodding. I'm going to toss this to you. <laughs> Correct me if I'm wrong. So are they? do they have this token so that they can pay these on-chain sleuths with a native token to go out and investigate certain crypto wallets? Is that how this is? That's what it's, yeah, that's what it's looking like. And I, I see some information here about like a token sale or something like that, which I'm not, I don't really want to discuss. I don't think it's relevant. But I yeah. want to say that that's what it's for. But I don't, I don't know. I feel like they might be going about it the wrong way. I feel like you should be getting the token for, for solving bounties or maybe participating in a DAO or doing something that is for the utility or the use case. Mm. Yeah, it sounds like the token is going to drive the ecosystem in some way, shape or form. We don't have all the details here. Watching that promo video that was in the article, I believe it's linked in a tweet from Arkham. It says that this can be used by traders, journalists, investors, researchers. I think it, it doesn't say anything about law enforcement or governments. I feel like this being out there can be used by law enforcement and governments, but I don't think that that's necessarily a bad thing. Some of the backlash in that Twitter thread is like, you know, this isn't for privacy. This isn't what the ecosystem is about. But I think we need to remember that this is public information. If we're using public blockchains, the information is out there and anyone with the know-how can go and find this information. And if privacy is a concern of yours, there are tools out there to ensure that your transactions are private. And so I think that this is giving people an option who want to look into wallets. And so I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing. I don't know if I agree with the Twitter trolls. Will, what do you think? I think it's a cash grab. So I disagree with you entirely. Uh, I think that there's a good thing crypto with white hat hacking where you know, you put up a bounty and say like, oh, we have this project and we want you to look at bugs. Everyone does this. And there's huge bounties out there. And there's even ethical debates about like how big a bounty should be and when you should pay somebody out, what the threshold is set for, for paying somebody out. In this case, they launched a native token. They gave double digit percentages to founders, investors, and the community. And then they're going to airdrop a bunch of other people. And then they're going to use this token as some sort of bounty mechanism to get this thing rolling and off the ground. When in fact, there is already this in existence, but it's paid out in dollars or like a local currency that's just digitized and on-chain, such as a stable coin. Why not continue to do that? Why not use something that actually works instead of creating your own token and trying to get some sort of like flywheel of utility going? I think it kind of comes back to like the token question, which is something that everyone in crypto has been dealing with forever, right? Like, when do I need a token or why do I need a token? And some projects do have legitimate use cases for a token, but they're few and sparing, right? Most tokens fail and most tokens actually are liquidated into dollars or another fiat currency and then spent by the founders, while the rest of the community who's been bought into this mission ends up not getting anything out of it. So I don't like anything like this. I think maybe in like, 50 years, we might see a world where tokens are useful for like individual projects. But I, I don't think we're there right now. I really don't the, think we're there. Wendy. The only thing I want to say is that I do think having tokens are important. Again, if you're a small business owner, it is next to impossible to get a loan, like to get a business loan. And I do think that tokens are essentially allow you to crowdfund in some aspects. And I think that that's okay. I just feel like we need some, we, we need guidelines so people know what they can and they can't do. And I feel like that would help them create more successful businesses, especially in crypto. But again, you know, we're kind of just waiting for 
regulators to actually do their jobs and they're not. So we're just going to see more companies go offshore and all those taxpayer dollars. Yeah. Does anyone know where this company's based? It's interesting that they're launching this token, given what's happening uh, with the SEC and Coinbase and Binance and all of those tokens uh, noted in, in those suits. RFK Jr. Does he like Bitcoin? Well, we know he does because he went down to Miami, preached the good gospel of the orange coin to adoring fans down in South Beach. But does he own Bitcoin? That is the question at hand. Apparently, he does, according to filings from his own team. There was some question at the time whether it was investment advice, given that he preached by Bitcoin to all his fans and then did end up owning, owning Bitcoin. Does look like he does own it after first saying he did not. His legal counsel and his team stated that he purchased Bitcoin after his speech down in Miami. I guess a little bit of an intrigue at the moment. I guess this story, we could throw it over to Wendy. I think he'd be a good comment person on this because there's a lot of people out there who shill Bitcoin and then own it or don't own it. And people get upset about it. At this point in time, I'm not really sure what there is to be upset about. I think it's just this guy owns Bitcoin. He's running for president. Okay. So a couple of things. First and foremost, okay. Sometimes really, really rich people have no idea what they're invested in because they have other people that manage their money for them, number one. Number two, because he's running for president, they're going to find any and everything to attack him, even if it's a large, like if it's a big thing or a small thing or the most dumbest thing. And lastly, like it's like, what about Michael Saylor? Mike, I don't, does Michael Saylor even own Bitcoin or is it MicroStrategy that owns Bitcoin? And people say Elon Musk owns Dogecoin, but it wasn't it like, you know, it could be one of their companies or, or whatnot. So I think this story is ridiculous. I think people should not get so mad if somebody owns Bitcoin. Maybe he was buying and trading or selling Bitcoin before and then didn't have it at the time, but then got back in. Who the heck knows? And is it really that big of a deal? Like, I don't know. To me, it sounds like a nothing burger. It sounds like a bunch of people getting mad over nothing, but I could be wrong. Jen, what do you think? <laughs> I don't think it's a big deal. I think the way it's outlined in this story maybe could be interesting. You know, we want our presidential candidates to be truthful. And so apparently he said he doesn't own any Bitcoin at the conference in Miami. And then financial records showed that he did own up to 250000 And then when questioned about it, he said, oh, my wife owns it. And then after that, a rep came back and said, no, actually, he does own some Bitcoin. And so that I can see why people might be like, mm, that's a little bit weird. But I think if we zoom out, I, don't, I, I think it makes sense if he's out there touting Bitcoin and touting the benefits of Bitcoin, he should own Bitcoin. He should understand how it works. And so I don't think that that's bad at all. I think for me, if we zoom out even more, I really enjoy that we are having conversations like this around the upcoming election. I enjoy that there are candidates who are out there speaking about crypto, speaking about the benefits of crypto, um, and also talking about CBDC. So I know that RFK Jr. is against CBDCs. He thinks that they will be misused from a privacy perspective. I know that there are some candidates who have very interesting views on a various different topics. So I don't know if we want these people to be the ones who are really spearheading these conversations that is out to the jury. I'll let the audience decide on that. But I really do enjoy that we're having this conversation about Bitcoin, about CBDCs and people who may not have received the information because they're not zeroed in on... Um, platforms maybe like this one who we talk about crypto and cbdc's all day can start to learn about it well yeah i think that's a fair point i like wendy's comment though the most like a lot of rich people own a lot of rich things and you know they bought bitcoin they forgot about it and that's okay and like i wish i could forget about two hundred and fifty thousand dollars worth of bitcoin 
I, I mean, that day. What about Nancy Pelosi? She's her and her husband seem to forget that they've invested in all these different stocks and that they've cashed out and they made all this money. So it's like just rich people problem, guys. Come on. Yeah. But it makes sense to me like that, that this would happen. I guess to go into like the Bitcoin side of things, it is weird to see Bitcoiners embrace politicians. And there's been like a lot of Ron DeSantis chatter because of his uh, pushback on CBDCs within Florida. And then there's a lot of talk with uh, this guy, RFK Jr., because he went to Bitcoin Miami and talked about it and chilled Bitcoin on stage and said they were going to be the first presidential campaign to accept Bitcoin on the Lightning Network. So they got a lot of Bitcoiners like you know, hoopla and uh, like uproarious about it. But at the same time, it's like he doesn't even probably know how to use it. And so that sort of clashes with a lot of the Bitcoin ideology, which is like HODL, learn how to use Bitcoin, use, learn how to use multi-sig, learn how to, st- how to store it. But he doesn't even know that he like, owns it so there's a little bit of something there but at the same time i guess that's just that's just politicians so oh well just politicians all right let's take a little break from all the crypto chatter and chat about what's going on in the world of ai so sarah silverman and other authors are suing meta and OpenAI for remixing the copyrighted works of thousands of books authors without consent compensation and credit. So basically what's going on here, a bunch of authors are saying, you know, if I go on to ChatGPT and I type in what happens in this book, I'll get a nice little summary. I may even get some spoilers. And that is not okay. These uh, platforms are saying, you know, books are really good at trading these algorithms. And so there's this conversation here about creators getting compensated and the knowledge being out there already. Wendy, I know you are a big supporter of content creators being paid what they are worth. I think all of us on the show are. What do you think when you hear this? This makes me very, very mad. And I do think that this lawsuit is 100% valid. I think people that put themselves out there that are creatives, and I'm not even talking like people, I'm not even really talking about people like me. I'm just a shock jock. I'm an idiot on the internet. I'm talking about musicians. I'm talking about authors. I'm talking about producers, people that put a lot of heart into an actual creation and that have been preyed upon in the past. And all that AI is doing is it's allowing these same people, the same group of people to get taken advantage of again. And when is it going to stop? Like we we're not seeing a lot of laws and regulations come in to actually protect them. And I think that it's very shameful that this is still happening today, that people do not understand what type of how hard content creation is. And again, I'm not necessarily talking about me because I'm a YouTuber, a TikToker. I'm talking about like people that this is their livelihood. Well, it's my livelihood too, but I got to advocate for the always advocate for the music men, music women and support them at all costs. So I hope that Sarah Silverman wins, even though I don't care for her. Wow. Tough stuff. So I'm actually a little confused on how all these large language models work in the first place. LLMs, as you'll see on the Internet. I think they just kind of like take all this data and like shove it into some sort of algorithm, teach the computer to understand it and then spit it out. So it's very much like Google, but it has some sort of like smarter algorithm to be able to understand what's happening on the back end. And to a point, I think it makes sense that they'd be able to take almost anything that's free and out there, right? So where does copyright law run into this? I'm not quite sure. Maybe it's with published works that weren't first published on the internet or are behind closed doors, behind some sort of paywall that these LLMs are not supposed to be able to read them. But think about it for like a Coindesk article, right? That's free and open on the internet. Anyone can read that. And for an LLM to go in and take that and then be able to give you an answer from that information, does it need to cite Coindesk? I mean, it's 
common practice within journalism to always cite another publication or it's common knowledge within like legal studies or just like in professional academic studies to always be citing someone. But these LLMs, they don't really do that. And I don't think the end user really cares where the information is coming from as long as it's accurate, especially if it's so just disorganized on the backside, but then presented so cleanly on the front side like ChatGPT does. So I'd be confused about like how this is supposed to be done in the first place for LLMs. And then on the legal side, this is going to like open up all the copyright stuff, right? Because if, if they went in and just were taking everything, all these books off the library shelves, things that were just like, you know, behind paywalls, you're gonna have a lot of problems. So copyright law seems to be coming for AI. But I don't know, Jen. Yeah, I, you're absolutely right, Will. And this class action lawsuit is actually works that should be paid for. And I believe they were taking from some sort of digital library that should have had some kind of paywall, but there was a way to get around that paywall and then feed the works into LLMs. And so I, this is really interesting because we talk so much about regulation in our industry, right? And now AI is out there saying like they are actually advocating for regulation. We saw Sam Altman speak at a Senate subcommittee hearing in May, and he kind of is saying what we're saying. He said there, we think that creators deserve control over how their creations are used and what happens sort of beyond the point of them releasing it into the world. I think that it is very possible that all of these works were used to train LLMs and no one was actually thinking about copyrights. They, they were maybe thinking about other things. And this is just going to bring, again, the conversation into the courts. We're going to get some kind of regulation. We're going to understand you know, how we can use these creative works, who needs to be compensated, who needs to not be compensated. But it's going to take a long time. A lot of these conversations came up with NFTs and using creative works and how we're going to license these creative works with NFTs. And so I don't think that this is a problem that's going to be solved tomorrow. But I think that the authors definitely have a ground to stand on here. And they should be suing OpenAI and Meta. Wendy, what are your last thoughts here? My last thoughts are it's Taco Tuesday tomorrow. And I'm really excited to be back on The Hash with you guys tomorrow. So if you guys want to watch Queendesk TV, The Hash, you should. What kind of tacos are we having tomorrow? <laughs> I'm having fascinated tacos. For what are we having? <laughs> what? <laughs> Caffeinated ones for me. So I can oh, wake yeah. up and say the words properly. Me too. I'm just saying <laughs> guys and like and stuff a lot. <laughs> Jen, take us away oh, from here. Yeah, we are going to leave it there. We'll be back tomorrow. I'll caffeinate it up. I'll taco it up. Ready, ready to enjoy some Mexican fare. Thanks for watching The Hash today on Coindesk TV. Thanks for listening to us on the Coindesk Podcast Network. I'm Jen Sanasi. We had Wendy O and Will Foxley with us today. We'll be back tomorrow. See you then. See ya. You've been listening to The Hash on the Coindesk Podcast Network. We would like to hear from you. If you have any questions or comments, please reach out to us at podcasts at coindesk.com, subject line, The Hash, or leave us a review on your favorite podcast player. Thanks for listening. 